Now we're live. <laughs> Damn. There's no way we can recreate that either. There, there uh, really that is, isn't. That is going to be a, a, a listening podcast exclusive. Oh. <laughs> uh, <laughs> our our live mean, folks are going to be <laughs> sorely confused. We're really up in the professionalism. <laughs> maybe, maybe that guy was right. Just... Oh no! Maybe he was really onto something. Maybe we we really <laughs> he was right. <laughs> Damn it! Damn! Damn it now, the, now the hat seems really stupid. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! I, Every video, do not cut a single damn second of this. All of this is staying in. This is going to be the coldest open of all time. <laughs> of just, I can't just to give backing. It was to, a vision, was a vision issue. I couldn't see without my monocle. <laughs> oh my so god! We, when we we have like a little room beforehand that we all like chit chat and make sure everyone's set and everything like that. And Seth is just wearing his normal. You know, clothes, nothing, you know, nefarious about it. Uh, we do like 30 second countdown, and all of a sudden we come in, and, and Seth is just garbed up like he's a snake oil salesman from uh, the 1920s or the 1820s here at this point, or the uh, the penguin. Yeah. And we weren't even recording for it. I did a magician as quick change. It was, it and, was remarkable. And, you know, I blew it. I blew it. <laughs> We it, it, the most candid reactions from from Nate and I. That's uh, on brand is the only way we could describe that. Oh my! God. I'm I mean, upset. I mean, if we were thinking we were professional, I think that really put the final nail in the coffin. He was right. Uh, he was right. <laughs> you know what? When, when you're right, you're right. It's the uh, the Onion article where uh, it's like the one worst person in the world uh, makes a valid point. He did. <laughs> but anyway, uh, I doffed my cap to him. Let's really try to do a hard right into getting this thing back on back on uh, the correct path. Welcome to the Bloom Naughty Podcast. I'm your host, Nathan Bond. Joined alongside me, as always, Robert Stieg and the once dapper yet still handsome Seth Varnador. Joined alongside me as we discuss all things USF football today, tonight, as uh, AAC Media Day happened on thursday it was held virtually which is also just another slap in the face uh for me personally because uh it seems like we're never going to get the clam bake again um which is really sad and and uh, it's one of the best things about the conference uh leading up to it but lots of news lots of nuggets um where did i'll, I'll let you guys kind of steer the ship did anything catch your attention today that you want to kind of jump, jump out and, and really discuss as as we get deeper into uh, the podcast here? I mean, my not, only not much yeah. is Jimmy Horn is just yoked. That's that's it. Jacked, bro. Absolutely shit. He looked like he looked noticeably bit bigger in the spring game, but it's uh, here kind of the the official numbers there. Pretty if, good. Yeah. And if you guys haven't heard, uh, Jimmy Horn uh, has added 12 pounds of muscle in the offseason. Uh, so not only is he really, really fast, he's also going to be really, really strong. And uh, it looked 
it looked good. Like, I mean, they, they sent out uh, USF athletics sent out a picture. I think it was Thursday morning kind of showing, showing them off. And I mean, it's, it's the veins and the biceps for me is really what does it for me. Uh, I know it's, you know, it's a podcast, which is, you know, clearly a visual medium, but if you guys haven't seen it, we'll, uh, we'll post it, uh, we'll repost it and everything, but the guy looks good. Uh, can I, just, can I be honest about this image for a second? Like Jimmy, Jimmy's absolutely just yoked, jacked, fantastic fit chains looking absolutely wonderful and everything like that. Why is the blurriest fucking image? You can load in 4K. Okay. That's what I didn't I, know if that was my eyes deceiving me or anything <laughs> like that, but I was like, his face just, I, I know the lighting isn't, you know. Yeah. So I, I sent that, I sent that tweet out from the house account and I actually saved the video, but when you click the save the, or save the picture, you can click it and it said load in 4K and like, you could just like it, it pops once you do that. So I think this is just like the standard kind of thing. Um, but really not, you know, nothing really groundbreaking from the American commissioner, uh, Mike Oresco. I think he was more of a, uh, everything's calm. You know, everybody's remained calm. Everything's fine. We are in a great position, wink, wink, uh, to succeed in the future. Um, while also probably internal, internally panicking. And I got to tell you, I think the, <laughs> The biggest, I don't know how to say this, the the biggest way to know you're in the have-nots is the way that Mike Oresco had to hold up his pieces of paper while he read his statement today during, yeah. during his <laughs> I know, remarks. I noticed that too. I was like, this looks terrible. It looks t- like it looked like he was in a high school production of like reading the like presenting the news. Like it was his high school like news, like the TV production team. And I, I did that. I heard him- I think I heard him after he made a good point say, boom goes the dynamite. <laughs> so he nailed it. It was just like everything else leading up to it. Uh, but it, it, I mean, that's just kind of where it is. Uh, they threw up the 2021 uh, schedule uh, for USF as they were discussing uh, who they were playing in 2022. And I think they noticed it. And that's why they didn't say who USF was playing in this. <laughs> they have a strong non-conference uh, schedule. But I'm not going to tell you who it is because I don't I don't know off the top of my head that they got called UCF once. I don't know, man. Uh, we need to get out of this hellhole of a conference, <laughs> or just close up shop. Yeah, I yeah, it was not the best uh, when, you, especially coming from the other, you know, conference. I thought the one int- he I thought Oresco's. Um, his time was a lot more interesting than any other coaches or anything. Um, just his, how adamant he was about basically, yeah, we don't need to do P five anymore. If you want to call it P two, then that's more realistic. Um, but he, um, you know, he's been railing against the P five moniker for a while, but he can't, he himself said P two a few times. And then talking about the 16 team playoff that's getting thrown out there. That seems to be, you know, possibly being thrown out because of television. You 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 can you could split up more more games in the playoffs means more games to broadcast. So multiple television partners could get to broadcast games, which seems like something the big if the Big Ten is Fox and the SEC is ESPN, they probably want their network being able to broadcast some playoff games. Um, so he 
talked about the 16 team playoff, which has some seemed to have some steam behind it. And his view was do he said he didn't think a 10 and six would work 10 automatic bids, which would be every conference, I believe. Uh, he didn't think a 10 and six would work, but he thought maybe an eight and eight. Uh, the 12 team playoff was a six and six so six automatic qualifiers, six uh, at larges. Uh, so he's thinking maybe 16 would be an eight and eight. And I thought that was kind of interesting. Um, and, and that coming down the line would be, I think would, would obviously create a lot more access for, for teams across the country and could lead to some interesting stuff. Um, but other than that, like Jeff Scott's press conference, there wasn't much to it. The players are always going to give you kind of the same thing. So overall, nothing earth shattering, but I did think the the talk about playoff uh, was interesting. Yeah, I, I mean, I think I gleaned more from the interviews that Derek Sharp got uh, uh, this week during like their yeah. their pitcher days and stuff than anything else that Jeff Scott or, or Xavier Weaver and Antonio Greer were going to give us. Um, if you guys haven't heard them, they're on Bulls Beat. Go check them out. Derek does a great job. It was uh, some really good interviews. Um, he gave me gave me a little uh, foreshadowing. There, there's a, there's more coming. Um, and there's one with a, a wide receiver that Seth and I both love that is, if, if he's not talented, he's going to be the best no. personality on the team. Uh, so I can't wait for that to, to drop. Yeah, so be on the look. Yeah. So be on the lookout for that. Um, let's quickly kind of get into uh, the preseason poll came out as well. This uh, Thursday morning. Um and look at Seth, man, already on it. That We didn't even really plan this one tonight, guys, and it, here we are. We're teetering uh, so, back towards professional. Yeah, here we are. So, Houston, you know, I'll, I'll just say it. I'm the reason Houston is the was picked favorite. <laughs> we decided – I had, I, I had Cincinnati number one, and then we talked it out on the podcast two weeks ago, and now Houston, you know – by the skin of their teeth is the the choice to win the conference. So you're welcome, Cougar Man, fans. You see, that's 116 retweets. Like 130 of them are angry Cincinnati fans saying, <laughs> "Just the disrespect from this shit conference." You know, we won the conference last year, so that means we're going to win the conference this year. That like that is 100 percent on you. Another another nail in the coffin for the Illuminati podcast. Here we are, man. Just disrupting the flow of Cincinnati. I know. Man, could you imagine losing nine guys to the NFL? And that's the reason really why you didn't get picked first, but it's the disrespect that for sure. Um, and don't get me wrong, like I still kind of waffle. Like I think Cincinnati's gonna be fantastic in 2022. And uh it, that's how close it is, you know. They got more first place votes, but that's just how the shit breaks down. And uh, what's kind of surprising and maybe sad to me is that only 24 media members voted for the the entire conference preseason poll. So uh, it, that was another thing that stuck out. I mean, maybe that's why they went virtual. How many people would have showed up? Well, if it was at the clan bake, more. <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay. Chicken for well, the egg. I, yeah. So, I mean, with the clam bake, you get around to golf the day, the day before, like the day you fly in the day before, like all the big media stuff happens. And then you have the clam bake. And then the next morning is like the actual media day. So it's like a two day event. Um, and around then the golf? around the golf, man. And it's at a Newport country club. 
And it was fantastic. And I'll tell you who's very, very good at golf. uh, Richard Johnson. Really? uh, Split Zone Duo and uh, Sports Illustrated. Like Scratch Golfer. Really? And uh, JP Goodham from Fear the Wave. He they paired up. Um, they they just they got paired together uh, in 2019, and I, I I don't know if it was like like a winner of them all, but like they were they smoked everybody. Well, now I'm really upset. Yeah, I played today. Did you really? Played nine. Yeah. Yeah. The kids, Samantha, and the kids are going out of town on Saturday, so there's a lot of golf in my future. Over the next week. I was trying to recreate my own uh, media day experience down here. <laughs> but I mean, this is kind of where we laid it out. Um, I think really the only differences are I we picked South Florida to finish eighth, and they they were picked ninth, and there's a still a pretty big gap between eight and nine. So I I, I get it, um, but. Temple and Navy being the two worst teams in the conference, and it's not really close, makes a lot of sense. Temple is just Oof. down to the studs, and then the studs haven't even been made yet. So uh, it's gonna it's gonna take a little bit for I think you know that guy who is now their head coach, who you couldn't pay me a hundred bucks to tell me who it is because I couldn't tell you. Staying I think was my favorite part about this tweet was uh, there. If you go to the replies, there's a, a Temple fan that's like, "Y'all are sleeping on Temple this year." And I was like, brother, let me tell you something. <laughs> there is just, I, I mean, to lose, what, 24 guys to the transfer world? Yeah, you get to bring in guys, but I, I didn't I didn't recognize a single guy from Temple's roster at all. And they historically recruit, like, the Florida area pretty well, and so you can normally find, like, a guy or two. Um, yeah, I... Mm. I'm 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 absolutely jinxing us, uh, but boy, if this USF team last year ran over you guys for a program record in rushing and beat you guys by double digits when we couldn't even hold water against Tulsa, um, yeah. and then you got worse in the offseason and we got better, I, I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> I, I really don't. They they're luck they're lucky their non conference schedule is pretty weak, so they'll win some games. But I would be shocked if they win a conference game. So like yeah, oh that's gonna be really unfortunate when they go four and eight and go like <laughs> no they'll go they'll win two maybe like they have Massachusetts and so if they beat UMass then I think they have a uh, FCS team that they should win so those are two they should win but everything else they're gonna be heavy underdogs I'd imagine yeah and I mean looking you know one through seven I mean really it's do you have a quarterback? If the answer is yes, then you're you're on the top half of the conference. Yeah. Houston's got a quarterback. Cincinnati has Ben Bryant, who's a talented quarterback. If he went through for 3,400 yards last year at Eastern Michigan, I think UCF is going to be fine with with John Rice Crumley. I think he's going to be the guy there. He's really really talented. Still questions on can he get the ball down the field? I know he's going to be a fantastic runner for them, especially with uh, Demarcus Bauman and Isaiah Bauer and or Bowser and. Uh, the the third guy who's third there's a third running back too, Richardson. Right? Yeah. yeah yeah and uh, they they've got talent Ryan O'Keefe is a fantastic slot receiver their, really their offense is going to be really good I think their defense probably takes a step up um, just like I think USF's will and then SM SMU has a quarterback Tanner Mordecai Memphis has their their true sophomore quarterback that's going to be really good still he had a three thousand yard season Holden Aylers for all of his 
Warts is still he he can elevate a, a team to you know the middle of the pack in this conference. Tulane if Michael Pratt is get, gets right, he'll be fine. And then and then eight, nine, ten, eleven. Who the hell is going to be the quarterback? And it, you know Tulsa has Davis Brin, but is he going to be good enough to elevate a elevate the team to get into the middle of the middle of the pack? Who knows? I mean. The only, the, really, the only thing that I gleaned from any of the interviews from from USF, honestly, uh, Thursday during media day, was it. It really just kind of seemed like it's a two man competition between Gary Bohannon and Tim McLean. Like Trey Marsh is just kind of the third guy out there. Um, as as we get deeper into it, Coach Scott mentioned he wants you know the first couple of weeks to figure out who the the quarterback is, and then give him the last half of fall camp to really be the guy. And oh, jeez, oh, 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 click the link, click the link. <laughs> oh, sorry, I see women in your area. That's what we want, baby. Um, it's better than the other thing that always popped up. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> so, I mean, <laughs> well, you know, we won't, Connor, we won't, we won't screen share that one. That yeah, one. no, no, that won't, that won't make it. But I mean, that's kind of where we're at. Um, lots of awards, more awards than I thought was going to happen over the last week and a half. Uh, let's see. So we got Gary with the Davy O'Brien. Uh, We've got that didn't happen. Unofficially. Unofficially. Unofficially official. Uh, we had Xavier Weaver with the Fled, Fled, Fred Bolitnikoff Award. Watch list for the best wide receiver in the country. Uh, we have Antonio Greer making it for the Bronco Nagurski uh, watch list, but not for the Buckus Award. Uh, the Bronco Nagurski Award obviously goes to the best defensive player in the country. The Dick Buckus Award goes to the best linebacker in the country. I don't, I don't know. It, it makes no sense, but hey, it's just a watch list. But it's pretty fun to look at. Uh, Antonio Greer was also uh, on the watch list for the Danny Warfel Award, which is given annual, given out annually to the top community service member in the country. Uh, he does a lot. I think Steve, you wrote up, uh, wrote up. Uh, how many clubs and, and things he does, uh, you know, in the, around the USF community, make sure you guys go check that out at dailystampede.com. That's a plug. That was a natural plug right there. Uh, and uh, Lou Groza, the semifinalist last year, Spencer Schrader is back on the watch list. Um, and, you know, it was announced and we also got like a, a dunking. So that was fun. Uh, that was great. <laughs> I mean, could, <laughs> I just, I don't I'll, I'll never understand I'll never understand that one that just doesn't make any sense you're telling me he was bad and then became good uh, what yeah I was about to uh, I was gonna reply to the guy uh, with Desmond Ritter's stats from like his freshman year where he <laughs> threw like four interceptions in a game um, but it, then he went private and I couldn't so you know coward sorry John you're a coward uh <laughs> And then uh, Brian Batie was announced on Thursday as the uh, he was on the watch list for the Paul Horning Award, which goes to the you know best all around uh, player in college football. Uh, a lots of award uh, watch lists for a team that went two and ten 
2021. And I think that kind of lends itself to, I think this team could be a lot better. Uh, you know, I know Smoke Davis is out for the year, you know, football careers of over um, due to that neck injury, but back neck. 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 Uh, but there's still a, a lot of talent. And we, we touched on it uh, last week and in the previous weeks, you returning, you know, the third most uh, returning production in the country. It, it's going to lend itself, hopefully, to better results. Uh, Jeff Scott alluded to the fact that it's still a very, very tough schedule. You know, overall, you know, heading into fall camp, which starts next Wednesday, August 3rd. What are your expectations, Seth, uh, going into fall camp? What are some of the uh, position battles, position, you know, interesting stories that you want to follow closely that will uh, maybe help form your opinions as we go into the Daily Stampede group and and give our season (laughs) predictions uh, as fall camp wraps up? Uh, I think I think the number one thing is going to be quarterback. I think that's probably going to be everybody's answer. that's will be interesting to see how quickly they name that, how many practices they need. Because you when you listen to Jeff Scott talk about Bohannon, you know, he it's kind of glowing in terms of leadership and, and that kind of thing that he was um, you know, I believe they said was it Memorial Day? He was he was in the building watching film or or something to that effect. And yep. Nobody else was there, just him. Um and then you see the grit rankings, the grit scores they put out every week. Um, he's on almost everyone. Byron Brown's on almost everyone. I don't think another quarterback's been on one yet. McLean's maybe been on one, but I don't think he has. So obviously quarterback will be interesting to see how that plays out. Like you said, they, they're, the way he's talking about it is it's a two-man race. But seemingly, uh, Bohan is not – I wouldn't think he's coming here to sit. But it's going to be a competition, so we'll see. Um, other positions, I think defensive line, kind of who's going to be the starting unit. What's that? Is it going to be a big rotation or guys going to play a ton? I think that'll be interesting to hear kind of how that's working and how the kind of the transfer guys are fitted in. Um, other than that, I think, you know, offensive line is going to be the same five guys as last year. What, you know, is, is anything going to switch up there would be kind of what I'm watching there. But I expect that to be pretty settled early. And then running back and receiver on the offensive side of the ball, those they have a ton of depth. So I'd imagine they're going to rotate guys in and out. So for that, I don't I don't think there's much there. Linebacker, it's kind of the same thing. You have a pretty good depth. You know who your starting two guys are. Um, and then defensive back. Now there is some questions with uh, kind of the medical retirement of Smoke Davis, but I, I think that it'll be interesting to kind of see who takes on his role. I think that's probably another thing to watch for. Um, does Will Jones come down and, and and play that kind of nickel star role? Does he stay back deep and Matt Hill or somebody like that come down? So that'll be interesting to see who plays there as well. Steve, what about yourself? What are what are your what are you looking for uh, as we head into fall camp? You know, August third. Yeah, it, it's it's right around the corner. It's it's coming up. It's the dawn of a new year or something like that. Some weird cliche that everyone says. Uh, for me, I'm, I'm very intrigued on a couple of, uh, under the radar changes that have happened. Um, you know, you get guys that change positions every once in a while. Uh, and I had mentioned this previously and I know Nate, you piggybacked off of it. Um, but getting a guy like Daquan Stanley back onto the offensive side of the ball, um, you know, I I think you can really tell the direction that Travis Trickett wants to go with this offense. 
Um, you know, a lot of these guys have a good, good amount of speed, uh, especially in the slot. I think uh, Daquan Stanton had like 27 yards of catch his senior year of football for like 1,200. Like he had a shit ton of yards. Um, so getting a guy like that to rotate in and out with, with Jimmy Horn is going to be fantastic. You also have a guy like Brian Batie and Mikey Dukes, and you have a lot of playmakers that if you just put the ball in their hands in space, they're going to be able to make a big play. Realization of, of doing that is, is what's key to me because last year you had a lot of these guys too, where you just put the ball in their hands and make the, make it work. But you know, the offense didn't put up the numbers. So can you get creative getting the ball to your playmakers hands? You got a loaded running back room. You know, I, I really, I, I thought Jerry Mayhem should have been no doubt dope Walker watch list with the amount of touchdowns he had last year and his consistency, at least when you get into the red zone. But, you know, I, I totally understand it because he was almost not existent outside of those uh, red zone trips. Um, you know, you still get a guy like Brian Batiste, you have Kawan Powell, who's going to be finally healthy from his ACL tear. Um, you, you just, you have a lot of playmakers on offense and you got to use them properly. You can't consistently rotate these guys in and out. You got to kind of go with the hot hands every once in a while and who's clicking with the offense. And then defensively, like we mentioned, Smoke Davis going out, big loss, but you have depth there and defensive back to make difference and to, to replace him, maybe not emotionally as a spiritual leader of the team, but definitely as a physical presence. I have a name that I think can kind of fill that void. And it's going to probably bring up a little bit of PTSD for a few people, but I think Matt Hill would be a fantastic uh, choice for that star position. You know, I, I know he struggled as far as uh, a little bit of attacking last year, but at that star position, it's a little bit different. It's more on coverage and being able to sit into the flat. And I, I guarantee if he sits that flat, he's going to jump an out route. He'll get a pick six. He's got the speed for it. You know, he's he's a dangerous enough athlete. And with a full year of playing defensive back under his belt again, I, I think they'll be fine with him uh, if he's, if they choose to get him up into that slot position or that star position. Yeah, and, you know, I mean, we've talked about it a bunch. Like, Matt Hill shouldn't have been on the field last year except injuries forced him to literally, what, five days before uh, the season starts. And that's just that's just how it was. You know, he had to learn on the fly and it's, it's tough. I mean, it's tough to learn a position that you've sw- just switched to. And now you're just, you're getting thrown into the fire against live bullets against, you know, good downfield passing teams for the most part in this conference. Um, and, and you just kind of get exposed. And I think it was a learning experience for him. I think Bob shoot is going to put the guys in the best spots to succeed. And I think this team is good. I think they're, I think the talent lends itself to be more aggressive than they probably had been in previous seasons. So I'm excited to see how that kind of translates on the field. And, you know, we'll, we'll have to see on September 3rd, how it all shakes out uh, as the bulls host BYU at four o'clock on ESPNU uh, to open the season. It'll be, It'll be a, a fun experience. You know, I, I'm not I'm not expecting them to get blown out and shut out like they have been the last three years. They've opened up against a, a you know, power five school, so to speak. But I expect them to, to compete. The line's 12, uh, 12 uh, 
BYU's given up 12 points. Uh, Sean King, uh, former USF coach, uh, is out in Vegas and he's uh, on the, the, the Vizin uh, network. Um, and he he has USF just to win outright. Um, he's he's high on those guys. He's talked about you know the, the offensive line is very deep and and you know he recruited a lot of those guys. Um, they have close to fifty starts together between you know Donovan Jennings, Meech, uh, Harris, and Brad Cecil. We'll see how the other two positions kind of shake out, and we'll we'll go from there. Um, I'm interested to see what the three other. Uh, offensive linemen that have transferred in can kind of do and see if they push the the current starters for, for a role. I'm, I'm excited to see how that kind of shakes out, how that rotation looks like, but you know, Seth, you touched on it. It's the quarterback and uh, the quarterback's going to stir this drink as much as uh, anything else. And I, my money's on Gary to win this battle. It certainly seems that way, right? There's, I, you know, um, it, every, everything you hear, everything you see would lead you to think it's going to be Gary, uh, but it's going to be a battle. So we'll see. Do you do you guys think I want to ask you guys a question? Do you think the offensive line group is a strength of this team or just a very experienced part of the team? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I. So they've been getting. Now, I'm not point. trying to be. I'm not trying to right. be that. They've been getting. They've they've gotten better every year. Um, but last year there were still there were still times where you know Timmy and maybe part of the reason Timmy's back there because there were games where he's running for his life. Um, so do we think they take that next step and to kind of put all that experience uh, and kind of go out with their best year here for those guys that are seniors or, or what? Do you, how do you guys feel about that? You know, I, it's 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 funny. I I thought about this the other day because I remembered back to someone talking about how the offensive line didn't play well last year. Um, you know, at, at times they do struggle, um, but that's not a microcosm of USF itself. I think that's a microcosm of how modern defenses, uh, especially along the defensive line, are getting much much better. And, you know, some of the rules are, are not being as favorable to the offensive line play as normal. So you kind of have to scheme around, um, you know, and kind of getting lucky on blitzes and everything. So I think at the end of the day, an experienced offensive line is never a bad thing. One that's been, you know, older guys that are no. beefier, been around the program for a long time. You know, it, last year, if, if Brad Cecil or if... Um, you know, Meech Harris, or if one of those guys were struggling, you didn't have the depth behind them. You know, you had a guy like Dustin Hall that had to pop in there every once in a while, but really, you know, it's, it's, it's more dangerous to throw a, a freshman or even a sophomore offensive lineman out there because generally they they haven't seen the live reps against, you know, a, a starting senior defensive tackle or defensive end or anything like that. So I think it, it's like a, it's like a good final line just to really just drive home this, uh, you know, cliche of sorts. It's good for a experienced longstanding offensive line with a lot of snaps together. They have the cadence there together. And you know what? You brought in three new offensive linemen. So at the end of the day, this is going to be important. This is going to be Brad Cecil's last year. This is going to be me Harris's last year. If those guys start struggling, you know, you, you don't have, you have depth behind them now to say, okay, 
we need it. We need a new juice in here. We need a new guy that can, that can, you know, get in there and do something. Um, Cause there is something to a guy that's been there for a while has been, you know, in that cadence for a long time and just hits their peak and that's it. You know, there, there's been guys in the USF system in the past that, yeah, they're seniors. Yeah. They have a lot of snaps, but they didn't play well. And you kind of have to be the, be the coach and say, listen, yes, I know this is your last year. I got to put this, I got to put my loft in. I've got to put, you know, Perry and I, I got to, I got to switch something up. We need to do something different. So I think that's where at that point, that's where we'll really see, you know, the, the, the coach stock is if one of those guys starts struggling, how quickly do you pull the trigger on them? Yeah. And I, I think they'll be improved. So I, I think though, cause they've, I think you kind of would think of them being positively uh, as having a, you having a good season because they've gotten better every year. So um, that's just my, my, I just looking at the offense, if the offensive line is, is, is improved and is good, then, you know, you, you feel, I think you feel pretty good at quarterback now. Um, and, and your skill positions are great. You should have a really good offense if, if that group can kind of pull their weight, no pun intended. Yeah. And, you know, Seth, you, you kind of bring that up with the offensive line. It's kind of, it seems so like worn out by me over the last, you know, two months, you know, they, they bring back a lot of guys, but is the production good? And it, the offensive line, I mean, it, it's, it's five guys who have played a lot, but sometimes the production wasn't good. You know, sometimes Donovan Jennings is a turnstile at left tackle. How do you, how do you stop that? And maybe we'll see more two two tight end sets this year and, you know, chip in with a running back, what have you. But at some point you just got to be able to block with your five guys. And I think that's been a significant problem over the last couple of years, even though they're getting better. And it doesn't matter if, if Gary's the, you know, the second coming of, of Teddy Bridgewater and, you know, Tom Brady, like it, it, do, it just doesn't matter if they can't, stay in the pocket for more than two seconds without having to bail. And I, that that's what I worry about. I know right tackle was just a, a kind of a, a cluster last year. So we'll, we'll see how, how things kind of shape out. Well, I, I think, you know, what could really help them too is having a quarterback that can set the protection. So re- kind of regardless of who it is, you know, Timmy's got a year under his belt. Gary comes in obviously with some experience. So having a guy that can help them in that way to where he can set their protection to make it easier on them. Uh, that'll go a long way to helping him too in the passing game and the guy, guy that will get the ball out of his hands quickly. If, uh, and, and it seems like everything I've heard about Gary Bohan is that he's a pretty smart guy. He understands He's maybe not going to crazy wow you all the time, but he's really solid and he plays winning football. So he's probably a guy that can do that, those kind of things. So that'll help them out too. What, you know, for both of you, what's the one position where you, you just, you're not worried about, I I think it's probably linebackers for all. I think, is that a consensus? That's just the one position you're like, they'll be fine. They've got the starters and, and, Mine's receiver, running back. Okay. Those two, I think you're you've, you can go like three, three. Uh, receiver, you've probably got four or five pretty good ones, and I don't think you'll put them all out on the field at the same time. But you've got you got a good group there, and running back as well. You've got three or four guys that can 
that can carry the ball and, and probably be kind of starters on, on certain other teams in uh, D1. So so for you, Seth, it's, yeah. is it wide receiver one, running back two? I'd probably go running back. I'd say running back one or wide receivers two. Uh, yeah, linebackers, you know, um, yeah, I, I'd probably – I'd feel pretty settled on that group. A lot of experience, and it looks like the transfers that came in are players. So I think you have to feel pretty good about that group too. What about you, Steve? Yeah, it's – I mean – Linebacker is probably the unless something catastrophic happens, of course. You know, I, I feel confident that you know we're going to see a, a record-breaking year out of Green Bay. They're going to will their way into uh, a win. Uh, they almost did it last year a few times. So you know, I, I'm confident that you know them. Plus, you know, you bring in a guy like Jalen Schuler and uh, DJ Gordon to back them up, and then you still have CJ Ross and Devon uh, Hicks behind them as well. So. You've got a pretty solid three deep there, um, you know. And, and to this, to Seth's point, you know, on the other side, I, that running back room is just uber talented. You know, one through five, you have playmakers along the depth chart. You know, your your biggest worry is how can I make sure that all these guys are happy? You know, you get you have a guy like Brian Batty. He also handles kickoff duty. You know, he gets his touchdowns and big touches that way, but he's still able to come out of the backfield. Uh, of course, receivers are, are loaded well, but receivers kind of hinge on, hey, can uh, can our you know good old fashioned quarterback get a uh, you know the ball into their hand on something that's not a out route slant, you know, something like that. Like I, I'd like to see some big boy throws to Xavier Weaver. Um, you know, this year I think uh, I think that'll help improve his draft stock. I know that was a talking point was uh you know where he's at as far as draft goes and he gave the perfect answer said i'm not worried about draft i'm worried about winning football games so am i so uh yeah if they can get some big boy throws to him um i think he'll be able to prove his worth as well and uh and take his game to the next level yeah I, I, to me the receiver room has the most potential pros in it hmm I will say on the flip yeah, side, and I think I'll sure. get this before you, uh, before you, Nate. What's uh, what's a position for you that you are worried about? What's a position group with a lot of question marks going into this year? For for me, yeah, I think it's defensive line. I, I mean, on, I mean, honestly, I mean, they brought in eight guys. Because they 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 know they struggled they they needed bodies, right? But where where are they coming from, right? So who's who's going to take that next step? I know Rashawn Yates had I I talked to Jeff Scott. Gosh, when we went to that coaches clinic, Seth, and he was like, I I really like what Rashawn Yates has been able to do since he what that was what back in January, February, somewhere around there, Um, and he's steadily improved. I think he's been one of the top guys in Chris Core as well. You know, through winter workouts and and spring and and summer, I think he's going to take the next step. But who's going to play alongside him? They brought in a bunch of guys. You know, uh, Tremel Logan. Uh, was another guy on Thursday that Jeff Scott said he's added 40 pounds since he's been on campus for what a year and a half, two years. He's about 250 pounds now. That's like a stout, you know, rush yeah. end. And he he's got he has the 
the pass rush package to create havoc and, and get a couple of sacks. It was just, it, it, he was just a little, he was slight. So I'm excited to see what the next step for him is. Uh, Clyde Pinder, uh, Jatorian Hansford, uh, Nick Baggs, Scott Chaney. Chaney. I mean, yeah, Scott mentioned Chaney and Hansford by name today um, when talking about guys, the defensive line. So that was good to hear. Yeah, absolutely, Nick. Defensive line is always a question mark until, until I think to me, right. I think it's always hard to tell unless you got guys that are NFL players. Um, and I don't know, it's you know, it's, it, and that's hard to tell as well. I think both just both sides of the line are always kind of hard to tell until you start playing games. Um, because there will be years where you don't have any NFL players on the offensive line, but it's a really good unit that is kind of gelled together, and you got a really good offensive line. Um, and then defensive line, yeah, like like Nick said, it has been kind of a weakness for going on a few years now. So you kind of want to see some production first. So I, I, to me, both sides of the line of scrimmage, and I think that's that's true in a lot of places. Though you're not quite sure what you have unless you have an All American returning or a big time recruit. I think most teams are kind of not sure where they stay on the line of scrimmage because it's so hard to evaluate those guys coming out of high school. Yeah, and they they're also the hottest commodity anytime someone yeah. goes into a portal. Um, you know, I, I saw it on a few message boards and a few tweets. People were talking about, oh, is you know, they're going to go after one more defensive lineman, shore up the depth there. Um, you know, it, it's borderline impossible to get a defensive lineman at this point. Um, you know, I, I think they did a phenomenal job getting those guys in early because if any of those guys stayed on a little bit later, you know, a, a Florida or Florida state would have been, you know, come calling. And I, I think frankly, they got really lucky that Rashad Cheney was like, you know, fuck Minnesota. I want to go down South where it's warm. Um, so getting him kind of as late as they did was a, was a blessing. But for me, at least I, I'm more worried in this. I'm not worried, but can true can turn to like this critical thing very quickly is, is that tight end room right now. Uh, there's not a lot of experience, uh, especially losing the, the brinkmanship there. Um, you know, a lot of young guys, guys that had a lot of potential and guys that we were really looking forward to a uh, Gunnar Greenwald, for example, the, the prize and joy of the, the previous recruiting class and bring in a guy like Chris Motillo or Matello um, from Penn who's going to be smartest Dickens, but hasn't played against D one athlete yet. So, and, and then, you know, Holden Willis flipping back and forth between tight end and wide receiver. There's a lot going on there with like Chris Carter, who's primarily been on special teams. You need a guy to step up there. You need a guy that can really be tight end one an effective blocker. First of all, because God knows that we need it with uh, at times with this offensive line, but you know, a, a threat and a, and a safety valve at times for for quarterbacks if they need it. Um, you know, I think Mitchell Brinkman was uh, was a fantastic bring in uh, to uh, complement leaving a, another Mitch behind with Mitch Wilcox. But you know, we didn't really have number two behind him. So anytime Mitch Brinkman was out there, it's just you know they they basically pulled a linebacker on him and told him to shove the guy in the dirt. And so we never really got good tight end play the last couple of years. I think some of that might have been scheme too. Of course, yeah. I, I don't think there was very many, you know, design uh, tight end passes. But you know, no. it, it's nice when you have a really good tight end. 
you know, they, they kind of go invisible for a long time and under long stretches. But when you get a good tight end, it makes a huge difference for your offense and a huge difference mm-hmm. for your quarterback. I, I think it's going to be Gunnar Greenwald stepping up. Um, you know, I, I'd love to see a, a big receipt tight end here at USF again. But I'm also not going to put money on it because Trickett's offense doesn't scream, uh, you know, let's get our tight ends in space kind of guy. So who knows? <laughs> yeah. I, and, you know, I think that tight end is, I think it's a distant second to the defensive line because let's right. be honest here, uh, the tight end position is not going to lose you games as often as a defensive line just getting uh, ran through. Uh, as I don't know. We've seen. If we had a good receiving tight end last year, I think we might have won that last game. No, <laughs> no. I, you know what? I don't think that was the case. Um, and, and Seth, I wanted to kind of bring this up. I saw a, a tweet. I can't remember who it was from, um, but it was basically about like the two high versus one high in the NFL about like quarterbacks in the NFL against two high safeties in 2021 mm-hmm. through like 40 more interceptions than touchdowns. And then against one high safeties uh, in the NFL, it, they were like plus 100 in touchdown to interception ratio. I get completely different, you know, ball game with the NFL and college, but with colleges kind of going to more, it's, I mean, they've always been a very progress. It's always been a very progressive sport. Is there anything that we can kind of glean from those kind of numbers to see maybe college football kind of going that way, or is it still going to be more of a hybrid? We're not going to be like the bucks were like kind of set on two high safeties. You're not going to be this deep kind of territory or is it, is college just a little bit too fluid for that kind of staticness on defense? No, I think, um, you know, I think probably the big contributor to that is teams playing like cover one and just playing man underneath with one high safety. Um, so those are opportunities to win in man coverage and probably easier reads and things like that for the quarterback. You can play a lot more. Um, you can play some pattern matching type stuff, uh, and some, some different zone stuff out of a one high look. You can, you can do zone blitzes and things like that. Um, but too high gives you opportunity to run a bunch of different coverages, a bunch of different, um, pattern matching schemes and, and things like that. Um, so, I, I think that could be part of it as regards to how, how trickles down into college football. The thing that you, you know, if teams, we used to say, and you know, this is still a thing. It's, it's somewhat changes how people play quarters where the safeties get more involved in the run game. But, you know, I, I heard old coaches to tell offensive linemen, if they're running too high safeties, they're spitting in your face. Basically they don't think you can run the ball. So a lot of two, a lot of times when you're getting too high looks, you should be able to run the football. Uh, the two safeties are not in the run game. You should have numbers in the run game. If you're able to run the ball, you can get a safety down in the box, and now you can get those that one high look where maybe the run game is not as effective, but you might get some more man coverage or um, some throws out in the flat against cover three and things like that. There, like I said, there is some pattern matching. I know Saban's big um, – one of his big pattern matching things, um, one of his Rip and Liz is based out of a one high look that looks like cover three a little bit, but has pattern matching principles. Um, so there is some of that, but generally when teams are in too high, you should be able to run the ball a little bit more and when, and, but they're trying to, you know, obviously keep the umbrella on top uh, of the t- deep shots by having those two high safeties, one high 
if you're running the ball better, you get to one high, you might get man and man, man to man and, and some opportunities to make bigger throws down the field. So I, I think that's kind of the, the two differences really. Absolutely. I just thought it was a pretty interesting stat to say the least. It feels like, uh, you know, the NFL is kind of going back to the two use uh, that. I feel like, or maybe correct me if I'm wrong. It felt like in the, the '90s, early 2000s, it was a lot of too high stuff. The Bucks, the Bucks with the Tampa two kind of revolution. Because the the big issue with cover two for so long was people just hit the you could hit the post in between the two safeties, and then the Bucks started running uh, Derek Brooks down the they you know called running down the pipe, but he would basically turn it into almost a three high look because yeah. if somebody went vertical down the middle, he would just carry it. Um, and he was also good enough that he could play the run too. I, I think you're getting back to that because how many the so many teams are so analytics driven in the NFL that they're not running the ball as much and they won't just pound their head and run the ball. So teams will play too high and just say, okay, run the ball. It's not as efficient as passing the ball. So please run it. So now mm-hmm. when you pass it, you got to force it into tougher Tighter covers. Windows. Yeah. Yeah. So I that's probably the biggest difference I would I would guess. Or the big reason that that there was such a big discrepancy. Mm-hmm. I, I figured I just kind of ask it, and you know, we this is what we do here on the the Blue Naughty Podcast, man. We we ask questions we may not know the answer to, and try to uh, go from there. Um, what you know, as we kind of close on on the the fifty minute mark uh, and kind of wrap tonight up. Um, overarching theme from you know the the week the last like two weeks of media days has been realignment and everything you guys have already put uh usf in the the acc and it's be they're going to become a powerhouse now so um so kudos to you both for for doing that um I had no hand in that last week, so I'm glad. Uh, yeah, so I, I I put them firmly in when I asked, why would the ACC want them if they already have two Florida teams? Yeah, but yeah. So we put them firmly in, firmly so. in, like uh, uh, I mean, above Florida. And, and State, I believe, believe Steve answered, "Well, here could be possible reasons, but actually, we all know his intent. He meant that it's a lock." Oh, I never had a quote just get so misconstrued. Welcome like that, club, my, I mean, like, mm-hmm. right? And it, it's my big, uh, big welcome to the media shit. But holy, holy hell, did you I had, just splice words? <laughs> I had, I had a tweet. I had a tweet about your boy Will Levis that uh, that hurt some people. Somebody told it was just stats, and somebody told me I was. It's the narrative. <laughs> What's you're just pushing a narrative? I'm like, these are literally just numbers from the internet. It's the same thing as part like when Parker posted like the World Series, yeah. it was like it was like an 18 percent chance for Oklahoma or something like that. By like Vegas was saying it was like 18 yeah. percent. People were coming out of like you're you're disrespecting the Sooner Nation. It's wild, yeah. It's wild. I love this. Mm-hmm. Oh, but go no. on, mate. Sorry, we uh. I got derailed yeah. because of yeah no no worries. Uh, Gary asked, "What do you guys think about the new uniforms?" Let's let's end on a high note. I um, Seth, you go first. I'll go I'll go a second, and then Steve gets the the former uh, equipment aficionado. aficionado. We'll we'll wrap it up. Seth, thoughts on on the on the new unis for for USF? I know a lot of players have said they're more comfortable, but visually, are they are they better? Yeah, I think they're a lot better. Um, even the last uniform, if you take took the last uniform and just change the numbers to what the new ones are, they would look a ton better. 
So like the fact that the, it's a brand new uniform, I think it looks really clean. Um, obviously throwing back a little bit to uh, 2007-ish, kind of that era. But, you know, I, I think it looks really clean, a good way to kind of modernize that look. I like the number font. It, it seems to be a custom font, which is nice. I like that the, the uh, you have the U on instead of South Florida. That's um, to me, that looks kind of just having the name of the school across the top always look kind of high schoolish to me. Um, so I, I think they look, I think it's a big upgrade. I'm really interested to see what else they have in kind of the same template. Cause I think you could see some really good stuff out of this, but I think these have been uh, roundly applauded and uh, they look, and they look great kind of uh, the more you see them, the better they look kind of this doesn't quite give you the best picture of it. We'll show some, uh, I'll pull up some other tweets from the USF football account to show more, but I thought it looked great. Yeah. I, you know, I, I agree. I think it's, it's sleeker. It's, it's simple, but, Simple doesn't always mean bad. I think simple, you can uh, grow and progress from that, especially with the, I mean, the last version of the jersey was just absolutely trash. So, I mean, you can really only go up from there. And I, I think to your point, Seth, having the iconic U in the middle of the chest plate instead of the South Florida spelled out one because they're like the gold crinkly iron on like lettering, sometimes they were crooked. And if it, it it appears to me that the U is stitched on. So it's going to be a lot harder for it to be crooked. And I think that's going to be great. Um, hopefully the, the nameplates on the back are would hopefully also be stitched and, and stitched in the, the right configuration. So we don't get an Antonio Greer situation again, um, but they just look a lot cleaner. Uh, I think the, the pant and Jersey combinations that can be made out of this will look a lot better than any other versions. I'm excited to see what some of the alternate jerseys in this template will look like. I mean, that's just a clean, that's just a clean ass Jersey right there. Like that, that white on green, the white, white and, and green uh, pants looks fantastic. I saw there was a picture, I think it was out yesterday or today, or excuse me, Wednesday or Thursday. Um, with it was, I think it was the the away whites, but with actually God's helmet on there, which is the the white base helmet, the mat with the oversized gold U, which is uh, phenomenal, and I I, I love that. Um, it, it just it couldn't have been any worse. I wish the only gripe is I wish they would have gone back to maybe that 2015 to 2017 range of jersey. But I get why they went back to, you know, what made USF USF, and uh, it, it completely makes sense. And uh, I, I like the the God's helmets, you know, cousin as well. Yeah, I'll be interested to see before Steve jumps in. I mean, you you could have a helmet in every color, basically the same exact helmet in every color, and it would just look great. And it's kind of the same thing, pants every color and it would all fit pretty well. So I think it's a set that you can mix and match and have mm -hmm. some really, really sharp looking stuff. I think the, the green mat um, oversized U helmet would go well with this one. I think we wore those 2016 Florida state, if I'm not mistaken. Is that right, Steve? Yep. yep. So, I mean, after, that, yeah, after we confirm, 
after we confirmed USF to the ACC last week, we also talked about how great the uh, the combo worn against Notre Dame was the green, white, green. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'm I'm a big fan of that. Yeah, as long as we don't get pee pants anymore, I'm fine. <laughs> Just bring it back one time for the for the fun of it. No, um, absolutely not. I will say when I so I I had heard a few things leading up to this what the what the uniforms look like. Um, obviously the 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 uniforms got in, and then the players saw it, and then I heard a few things about what they look like. My first initial reaction was, "Oh shit, we're gonna look like Charlotte," <laughs> because that's what I thought it was gonna look like. Um, I was hearing descriptions of it um, when it when I heard it's gonna be simplistic. It's gonna go. There's gonna be a white jersey. And there's gonna be a green jersey. I was like. I mean, it's going to be basically the same thing, but I'm glad to see that they went back with a classic look. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to beat this horse until it's blue in the face. Uh, don't look at the fucking helmets on a uniform reveal. They chose the basic white helmet because they got those refurbished in and they got those in sooner than the rest of them. They had five helmets at the media days and that all the players just swapped them back and forth for media pictures. They had three of the green helmet and then they had two of God's helmet. Stop worrying about the fucking helmet on a uniform reveal. Oh my God. I could not believe how many tweets were about fucking helmets. They were white helmets. They're just, they're basic. They're, they're just so that you don't take away from the uniforms that were being unveiled to bring back to a classic look that the, uh, that the teams desperately needed to look like. So um, overall, uh, fantastic uh, development, though. Uh, I'm glad to see the numbers on the uh, the shoulder pads. Arms, yeah, I was just about uh, to say, I, like I really like I really like that. Yeah, I, I you know I was a fan of the horns on the side of the 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 you know the shoulder pads there, uh, but I, I also do think that there is something to the classic of just putting the number on the side. Um, you know, I, I would like to see Adidas kind of take a, a mix of both kind of keeping the numbers on the top of the shoulder pads and having bull horn there. Um, I, I just, I, I think overall these, these are fantastic uniforms. Um, you know, they, they aren't simple, like how the, the foil print was in like the 2019 where it was just the green Jersey and then the foil print in South Florida. Those, those were quite literally, I mean, the high school template that I had posted, those were basically the exact same thing. Um, so I'm glad they put a little bit of variety, putting that stitching back on. It's a tone. Um, so you're getting the actual school colors of the green, white, and the gold as well. Um, this image is just the absolute fucking greatest image. There's just so many layers to it. Um, things that I can't say on this podcast, of course. But well, there's a there's uh, a there's a different helmet there. It's a helmet yeah. you may recognize. Those were the two helmets they got refurbished and got back quicker from Shut and Red L. That's that's what they have. That's what they had in, in hand. Um, you know, you'll notice that basically everyone was wearing the chin strap on the front of the of the mouth instead of like you know buckled up. It's because it's they have like five helmets and they're just all you know passing along. Um, so I uh, I also really like the set design that they're going for here. Um, minor equipment room thing is. You know, I, I, there were some people that were giving USF shit for just having like a basic green screen and or blue screen, uh, but you know they have an entire set in the locker room, in the new locker room to locate everything like that. So, I overall great unveiling, great video. 
Uh, excellent job bringing George Selby and Matt Grothy back. Uh, I know that was super popular with the uh, with the fans on Facebook, uh, who were also clamoring for Jim Levitt to come back as well. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. Overall, ten out of ten. Um, they did a really good job, kind of hyping it up on Friday, and then kind of leaning us uh, leading us to it on uh, on Monday. I think the hype video was fantastic. They did a they did a really good job with it. Um, and I think the, the photos came out really well and the content from it has been really good. And um, as we near the hour mark, let's kind of wrap this up. I'm excited for uh, fall camp. Like once again, start what uh, one more, one more thing, Steve, you got one more thing for me. Yeah. One more thing, one more thing. Sorry. I wanted to slide this actually two more things really, but this one's going to be eight quicker. more things um, and then we'll keep going Eight more things. So the, uh, there's a comments about uh, the online roster. Um, some people being removed from it. Some people's numbers are switching around. Um, there's uh, Rashawn Yates moved to like number six and Michael Williams, like number, like a lot of changes happened. And so the online roster is still being updated. So I wouldn't put too much stock in, you know, players not being on the online roster or things are changing around. Um, I wouldn't worry about that until next week where August, when August 3rd rolls around, because then the online roster is going to be completely 100% up to date. And the media members that go into that practice will also have the updated roster. So for instance, Gabe Neely is no longer online on the online roster. As far as I've been told, he's not in the transfer portal. He just probably moved numbers and they didn't have his online profile updated enough. So yeah, I, I wouldn't put too much stock into what the online roster looks like right now. Okay. Fair enough. Heard it here first. Um, again, August 3rd, next Wednesday. What? How many more sleeps is that? Six? Six-ish. Well, you, you hear this on Friday, so Friday night, Saturday night, Sunday night, Monday night, Tuesday night. Yeah, two, five more sleeps. Five more sleeps until USF football kicks off fall camp. And then from the five more sleeps, August 3rd, one exact month until USF BYU clash at Raymond James Stadium, 4 p.m. ESPNU as year three of Jeff Scott starts with USF. Until next time, this has been Nathan Bond, Robert Stieg, the dapper and handsome Seth Farnador, signing off for another wonderful edition of the Bluminati podcast. Thanks Congrats. for listening. Congratulations on a professional podcast, guys. Thank you. Congrats to you. Fuck I got yeah. it went rocky and it was a little rocky, uh, pun not not intended. And then it, we really turned up the professionalism. That's what that's what she said, Eric. <laughs> Go Bulls! Go Bulls! Go Bulls!